Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Listen, we are family. If you know anything about me, I love grace. It has been my family. I walk into this place. Not only do I, first and foremost, like experience the presence of God here. It's just a building. It's all about the people in the building. But man, I got a bunch of like brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles, grandmamas, granddaddies, and all the whatever else family members you can come up with. I got all those here. I hope you feel the same about grace. So to warm us up a little bit, obviously we can't just sit in a room that we say we're family and then not act like family. So real quick, turn to a neighbor, give them a high five and tell them you love them. Come on, come on, come on. All right, all right, all right. Now I want you to just do a quick scan around you. Find someone you do not know. Introduce yourself and tell them your favorite candy bar. Come on, come on. Come on. Yeah. Dude, how many candy bars y'all like? I said, tell them your favorite candy bar. Some of y'all are like Snickers, 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 Snickers. If you didn't say Snickers, exit the building. All right? Because that is the holy candy bar of the Lord. It's not. It's not. That's a joke. But if Jesus blesses a candy bar, you better believe it's a blessed candy bar. All right. <laughs> I, I'm just going to get right into today, and, and here's why. I'm, if, first service, I'm not going to lie to y'all, I was amped up. And the reason being, uh, if you were here last time I taught, I, I was very transparent that it was a hard passage to study. I was like, this is the type of passage we should just skip and go to next week. But they gave it to me because I'm the youth pastor. That's how that goes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But this week was not the same. I'm not even going to lie to y'all. I got literally, I'm not under-exaggerating, four words into this passage and stuff was leaping off the page. Like fresh things that I, I genuinely think in first service as the testimony is going to speak to some of us in the room today. It's going to have us leaving, I believe, with a fresh look at faith that some of us, is, is, this is going to be new for. And at a bare minimum, it's going to be encouraging and it's going to remind us why we're here so I hope you guys are excited for that. I'm going to pray for us quick that God would do that because he's the only one who can. And I would ask that you guys pray with me. Jesus, we are just thankful for you this morning. We, we don't, I, I don't want to ask anything of you this morning because you've already done it. How could I ask for more than what you've already done for me on the cross? So we just, we sit humbly before you today, thanking you for what you've already done. And thank you that even though you don't have to, you continue to intercede on our behalf. You continue to fight for us. You continue to show up for us. I ask that our hearts would be just soft in this moment to receive something new this morning, receive something fresh. I pray for the person who walked in discouraged that they would leave encouraged. I pray for the person who walked in without faith that they would leave with faith. And I pray for the person in the room who's had faith their whole life that they would walk out with a fire of faith today. We thank you that you're working all those things even in this moment. We love you. And all God's people sang. Amen. Come on now. Come on now. Amen. 
oh, 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 oh. Y'all hit a different tunes and tones and you were in unison. You wanna know I said the first service after they sang it? I was like, let me quote some scripture to you. <laughs> in our weakness, he's made strong, so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, they were all off, y'all. Y'all just hit the tenor and the alto and I don't know any of that stuff, so. <laughs> we're continuing. Church should be fun. I say this all the time, y'all. If, you, if, if to you church is this, we're not allowed to giggle and laugh like, Nah, man. God made humor, therefore we should have it. God made fun, therefore we should have it appropriately. You know what I'm saying? So I hope you come here and realize that God made all those things. We're in our study of John called Knowing Jesus. And uh, just a little bit before I read the passage, we're going to be in 12, 27 through 36 if you want to open up your study journals or Bibles. But this whole series we're calling Knowing Jesus and what we're going to do today, the way we're going to talk about it today, I think can encourage us to see Jesus, to know Jesus in a fresh and life-changing way. There's three things I want to pull out of this passage, uh, and they're, they're this. You can jump to the, that one slide with the three things. The humanity of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and the heart of Jesus. So the three things I want us to pull, and we're actually going to focus a lot on this first one, and I, I, I'm I deeply feel this is going to be revolutionary from, for some of us as it was last service. The humanity of Jesus, followed by the purpose of Jesus, followed by the heart of Jesus. So we'll open up to John 12, starting in verse 27, and it'll be on the screens for you. Now is my soul troubled. In the NIV, it says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Just pause real quick. We, we've, we've seen this a lot in John. I think it's important as we study through books. So I love that we're doing this the way we are. I think there's value in topical studies, exegetical studies, book studies, all the big Christian words that we use. One thing I think is uniquely special about studying a book front to back is you can see common themes and what they mean for us. One common theme we see throughout John is people trying to rationalize God. People trying to decide what they think it was, how they think it should go. And here, a, a voice speaks out of heaven, and they say, well, that must have been thunder. Any of y'all, show of hands, ever heard thunder talk? Cool. And if you did, where? And what did it say? Okay. They're rationalizing things that aren't to be rationalized, and we see it again here. But let's continue. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, listen to this, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. The, the first thing I want to take out of this, and it just, it's literally the first five words. It just leaped off the page to me as, as so integrally important to understand. And it comes out of verse 27. <clears throat> It'll be up on the screen. It says this, now my soul is troubled. 
We're going to stop there. We're not even going to look at the rest of the verse right now. Now is my soul troubled. Let's just briefly contextually look at it. So last week we talked about this is like the moment, right? So we read through John and over and over and over again, Jesus said, it's not my time. It's not my time. It's not my time. He even avoided certain situations and certain people because it wasn't his time. And for the first time in the book of John, just the last part of the passage, we see him say, it's time. It's now time for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's finally acknowledging what's about to happen, and he knew what was about to happen. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But he acknowledged that it was time, and the very next thing he says is, now my soul is troubled. Now my soul is troubled. The theology here at Grace, like the way we study the Bible, what we believe the Bible clearly displays is that Jesus was sent to earth by his Father, and while he was here, he was equally God and equally man. Not like 50-50 of each, 100% God, 100% man. We believe without that, he really can't be the sacrifice that he claimed to come and be. He had to be both of those to be enough to, to satisfy the wrath of sin. He wasn't some odd statistical combo, right? He wasn't like 14% man and 86% God. Or for my people bad at math, he wasn't like 46% man and 212% God. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't. We believe he was 100% God while mysteriously and amazingly being 100% man. And what I want to preface us with today in my first point is this. Understanding the humanity of Jesus is integral to a deep relationship with him. Understanding the human side, the 100% man side of Jesus is integral to a healthy relationship with him. Like this combination, this dynamic that he had, this is how he knew things in advance. Like it's how he knew, like he knew what was about to happen. He said, the son of man's about to be glorified. How did he know that? He was God. How did he raise people from the dead? How did he walk on water? How did he heal people? How did he appear back to the disciples in a different form after he was resurrected? Like he, he did all these amazing things. Why? He was God. But this is also how he felt pain. It's also how he sweat blood. It's also how he was tempted. It's also how he wept. It's also how he loved people deeply to the point of anguish for them. Even asked God to take the cup away from him because he was scared of what was about to come. He said, if there's any other way, like, do it, but your will be done. Because he was 100% man while also being 100% God. But I'd argue today in, in my kind of, like we're going to spend the first half on this, and I hope you'll connect to it, is that when it comes to being able to relate and connect to our Savior, understanding and leaning into the human side of it, his, his humanity is going to connect you in a way you otherwise couldn't. This is the only faith that offers this type of dynamic in our God. That he was 100% man, 100% here, 100% came down and walked in your shoes while also being 100% God. And when we understand this side of it, it radically changes how we connect to our Lord. But at the very beginning of the passage, like, like contextually, this is so important. Like right after he said it's time, like I'm about to be glorified, the hour has come. Like he knows it's soon. What does he say? Because like, I don't know about you, but when I think about my Jesus, who he, the battle does belong to him. You know what I'm saying? He is my mighty defender. He is the leader of this army. I think like, well, man, he, he's acknowledging like it's about to go down. I'm about to do something really, really, really important. Like this is life, world changing, eternity changing stuff. I can't help but imagine that he would have like marched up to the Roman soldiers and been like, listen to me. 
give me the crown of thorns, get the beatings over with, lash me, put me up on that cross, because I got like an eternity to change. Like I'm that dude, like I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, so we got to get after this thing. Bold, confident, courageous. Yeah, what does he say? He says, my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. Can anyone in the room relate to that? Can anyone in the room relate to your soul feeling troubled? Anyone in the room troubled by the last year and a half? Anyone in the room troubled by the political climate? Anyone in the room been going through crap lately and just feel like soul turmoil? You just don't have peace. Anyone lost someone lately? Seen a relationship fall apart? Have family troubles, money troubles, addiction issues? Anyone in the room just have times, or maybe even right now, when your soul is just troubled? There is not peace in here. There's, it's replaced with a whole bunch of other things. Hear this. Jesus, your Savior, the Savior of the world, the man who was God and died the death that we deserved, walked on water, healed people, raised people from the dead, in this moment had a troubled soul. He can relate to you. You can relate to him. I can't help but read this passage. Like This is why I jumped off the page the way it did to me. Read this passage and just love him so much more feel so much more connected to my Savior. Like, like this type of passage makes Jesus so much more real and tangible to me. Why? Because I can relate to him. Like I can read that like he had a troubled soul and think like, I've had a troubled soul. Like I know what that's like. I know that feeling. I know where, where you're at because I've been there. We can look at his situations, his fears, his troubles, and say, like, like, that struggle, I've had it, and maybe I even have it right now. And then the beautiful thing is that when we relate to him this way, is we can actually incrementally be encouraged and motivated by how Jesus responded to the troubles. Because he walked the same ones, we can learn from him, we can realize that he walked the same road as me, and I can really see him as my example. Like, not some metaphorical, lofty, religious rules type of example, no. As a man who I can physically and experientially relate to, you've been through what I've been through. And, and that makes me connect to you on a whole new level. And this isn't new. Like, I think, I think we're being honest, and we're going to talk about this. We tend to look at God, and, and maybe more than we should, he, he's deity, he's, he's almighty, he's up there, and those are all true. But if that's all it is for you, there's a disconnect there. And Jesus came to do what? Bridge that gap. Understanding the humanity of Jesus, connecting and relating to him as the person that he was, will change your faith. And this isn't new in the Bible. Check out Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I, I can't even quantify the number of conversations I have with people who it goes some form of this. I just, I don't know where God is. I don't know what he's doing. I don't feel him. Like, well, where'd he go for this? And why haven't I heard him through this? And why do I feel like he left me alone for this? And I just like, he's been tempted in every way, just as you are. 
He literally never left. He never has. He never will. And the beautiful thing is if we believe it, we can trust that he already handled all that stuff anyways. But not only did he do it then, he's still doing it now. Like, like Jesus, we got to view him fresh today, I think. Like he's not just this up there, cool, you're awesome, can't wait to meet you one day. He's got his work boots on next to you now. That changes our faith. Like the most impactful, influential, faith-filled people I know are people who understand this. People who know Jesus is down and dirty with you. Jesus came for a reason to bridge the gap that we couldn't get to by ourselves to get to God. So we came and did it. And when we latch to that Jesus, that changes people's lives. The religious idea of Jesus doesn't change people's lives. The traditional, however we've done it for 500,000 years, idea of Jesus doesn't change lives. An extremely real man who came down and died and his Holy Spirit still in us is what changes lives. But the question is, are we connecting to him like that? Are we relating to him like that? But, but here's something just, I don't think we can fully comprehend this in our, in our baby human brains, but if, if we can relate to him, it means this, he can relate to us. That means he can relate to us. So that means that we're not just down here like, oh, 2,000 years ago, you, you went through this for me, cool. No, he's up there feeling your pain now. He's up there walking with you now. He's up there feeling the trouble, the soul trouble you have now. He still feels it. Why do you think the Bible says he mourns with those who mourn, weeps with those who weep, close to the brokenhearted? You know why the Bible can say those things and be genuine? Because he came and wept. He came and mourned. He came and felt pain. He came and, and his soul had trouble at times. Do we see how this is so different than just a lofty idea of God up in the clouds? I'm not gonna lie, when I was a kid, I thought that God looked like Chef Boyardee. I don't know why. (laughs) Do you know how we all have our own vision of what God looks like? You probably have it right now. Like whatever you think he looks like. I don't know why, but I used to think of Chef Boyardee. I acknowledge that's probably not accurate. (laughs) I was a child. He can relate to you because he's already been there. Listen, understanding the humanity of Jesus completely changes how we connect to God because we trust and we understand that he knows our pain and therefore he can lift us out of it the same way God lifted Jesus out of it. Listen, if you feel like you're in the mud, Jesus has been in the mud. Like if you feel disappointed or hurt, the word tells us he was a man afflicted by sorrow. If you're in the room and you've lost someone and you're grieving, you know what the Bible says about him? He was acquainted with grief. Maybe you're in the room and you felt reject or despised. Jesus was literally despised to the point of being killed. If you felt misunderstood, Jesus was the single most misunderstood person to ever live. If you're in a season of pain, remember that Jesus took a crown of thorns 39 lashes, a brutal beating, was hung up on a cross, nailed to it in fact, died of suffocation and blood loss, all for you, he knows pain. You don't have to walk it alone. That's why he came. And that's an experiential, tangible, real version of Jesus that I'm arguing now if we don't fight to latch onto, we don't fight to understand, we're gonna miss a lot of it. We're gonna miss a lot of what God has. The truth of the matter is wherever you've been, 
He's been there. And when we see and feel the humanity of Jesus, it inevitably draws us closer to him because we can relate to him and he can relate to us. This is a message you don't hear a lot in church because he is divine. He is holy. He is almighty. He is sovereign. He was also a broken man, broken for us specifically. So my question for you this morning is how often have you taken time to reflect on the humanity of Jesus that you can relate to him? Like the times where it's hard and you feel like he's not there, those are actually the times you're the closest to him because that's where he was. That's what he walked through. Do you think about that? Do you reflect on that? Do you pray about that? Do you thank God for that? And do you also understand he can relate to you and do you let those things draw him closer? Like I can't help... And, and just to clarify right off the rip, this is not a knock on any type of church or anything like that. But I think all of us can say yes and amen. There are a ton of church people who don't know God. It doesn't matter what type of church you're in. I, I look, I can't help it. I look at certain church circles, certain denominations, certain religious traditions, and I just see how God is just this lofty, he's up there and we're down here. Like we just, if we just do the right things, then we'll meet him one day and he'll be happy. And we got to show up on Sundays and sit stiffly in the same exact seat until we can get out of there right at 1030. And it's, it's almost like God is metaphorical, not tangible. It's almost like God is an idea, not real. And I can't help but look and think like not only is he active, present, and life-changing, but I think a lot of the time when we miss it, it boils down to not embracing the humanity side of Jesus, solely the, the God side of Jesus. And it makes us miss an entire part of him. And there's three parts. That's 33.33% repeating. You're missing 33% of Jesus, God, all above. Listen, listen, if... Church, I, so pause. The, again, not a knock on anything, but at Grace Fellowship, the, tr- the truth of the matter is we are just, we're a big non-denominational church, all right? So what we get a lot of, and again, not a knock on anything, this is just how it is. There's a lot, a lot of you in here are gonna say yes and amen. A lot of times people leave Catholic church and come here. Why? We're just, we make the most sense. When you Google local churches, we're just kind of biggish. So like, <laughs> well, you'll try us first, all right? And the sign looks okay. And there's a young, attractive people <laughs> preaching. <so. laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> now, <laughs> you want to know what we hear? I mean, over and over and over again from that type of demographic. Maybe people will come from really traditional, kind of rigid type of churches to hear. The first thing you hear, it's so alive. It's so alive. Like, God can look like this? Like, Jesus can, this, this is how I can experience and relate to Jesus? Y'all, like, lo- love him enough that you put your hands in the air towards heaven? What are you doing? <laughs> are you trying to high-five him? Maybe. Hey, you know, let me tell y'all one thing. If God's about to high-five one of us and your hand's not up, you're going to miss it, okay? I'm not trying to miss the high-five from heaven. It's not why I raise my hands when I worship, but <laughs> I want to tell you a quick story Uh I did the Kennedale Baccalaureate. I just want to emphasize this, man, because this, this, this is a lot of places. And that's basically a celebration of, of graduation and faith, right? There's a lot of people there, and I get in there, and this is not a knock on it. It was a beautiful ceremony. I'm glad they did what they did, all the above. But, like, but like when I talk about Jesus, I get excited. <laughs> because 
if I truly believe my soul has been saved from eternal damnation and I don't get excited about that, I question if I actually believe it. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting in the Canada Baccalaureate and they're going about the process and I'm going to be 100% straight and it's not a knock on squat. It fell a little dead. It was beautiful in its own ways. It felt a little dead. And I remember sitting there and I had typed up this talk on hope. For me, I cannot talk about hope like this. Well, we are so happy and grateful that the Lord has given us hope for eternity. That's not hopeful sounding. But then I got my own head. I'm about to go up. And I literally started second guessing. I was like, should I change my talk? I'm not kidding you. I had this conversation five minutes before. I got a stash of talks. Yo, I could have switched it up real quick. I was like, do I need to like bring it down a little bit to match the mood? I don't know. Like I was, see, I was turmoiled for a minute. And immediately God was like, heck nah. <laughs> I don't know if he said heck, but he definitely said no. <laughs> he was like, no, do what you gotta do. So I got up there and I talked about hope and I got excited and whatever, whatever. The room livened up a little bit, but I, I won't forget to this point, I had probably a dozen people come to me afterwards asking all kinds of questions like, like what, what church is that again that you go to? Like, you know, whatever, whatever. But the one that sticks out to me the most was a lady who the minute this thing ended, beelined it for me. Like I could see her, her eyes were burning a hole in the side of my head, like the rest of the service. She gets to me and she was like, what, so what church do you go to again? And like, where is it? Is it always like that? And I was like, I mean, I'm the best one, but it's usually pretty good. But you know, what? I'm like making direct eye contact with Mark. <laughs> first service, first service, I stared down Ben when I said it. <laughs> no, 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 we're blessed with, I mean, amazingly talented speakers here, and I love being a part of it. But, like, I said, I, like, this is what she said. She's like, I, I go, I attend a Catholic church, and like, I, I'm not lying. This is the wording she used. I just can't relate to it. And, and I look, and I'm like, I know that there's lots of different types of traditional churches doing great jobs. That's not the point here. But that word stuck out to me even to this day. I can't relate to it. And I was like, my experience with Jesus that he's the single most relatable thing in the entire planet. Like, and that's what we're talking about right now, that the human side of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, that he came down and walked ahead of you, like went before you, suffered all this stuff for you so you could look to him and learn from him. I'm like, that's the most relatable thing in the entire planet. And I fear so badly that tons of people attend church every week. Maybe they got a Bible study, and that's great. They've, they've been raised in this, but to them, God is just this up there while I'm down here, and we are missing a lifetime of experiencing Jesus. We're missing a lifetime of what God might have for us because he is, he is that and then so much more. That and then so much more. Understanding the humanity of Jesus is crucial integral to a deep relationship with him. And I'm not even gonna lie, like, I kinda just wanna, I just wanna talk about this for the rest of the time, just like, I don't even know, like, I feel like we should just sit there, but we're not going to, we're not going to. The context here is huge, because I think, I think when we read just these nine verses, if we understand what's going on in the human, like how real he is, that he had a troubled soul in this moment, what he does next, what he says in, in literally the next verse, changes how we live our life. So it's going to come out of this. Verses 28, 7 through 28. My soul's trouble. What should I say? Father, save me from this. But for this purpose, I have come. Here it is. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, thunder. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. We see Jesus's humanity. And I don't know about you, but like when I'm troubled, uh, that's when I'm the most tempted to run. 
right? That's the most te- when tempted. I'm tempted to turn to something that I shouldn't be. Turn to that thing that's going to make me momentarily feel better. Turn to that person who I know maybe I shouldn't be around. Turn to those situations that just numb me for a minute. And, and like, I know I can be guilty of that. Yet Jesus here, in, in the turmoil, in the trouble, his next sentence is, Father, glorify your name. What would it look like as followers of Jesus that even in the hard times, our next sentence was, Father, glorify your name. I am, I am admittedly brutally guilty of a lot of times that not being my next sentence. And that could be in the good and the bad. Like, glorify, Father, glorify, your name is just not always my next sentence. But I can't help but look at, you know, between the services, we got, I don't even know, six, 700 plus online. We got all these people watching this. And, and if everybody in this room, uh, like, connected and related to Jesus on a humane, personal, relational level, and then decided, hey, no matter what my life looks like, I'm going to say, Father, glorify your name. You know how quick Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania would change? Do you know how quick York, Pennsylvania would change if 700, 800, 1,200 of us went out and every step of the way were like, Father, glorify your name. Things, I can't help but think things would look so different. So maybe for myself and for you, what's it going to look like going forward, maybe starting today, that even when things are horrible, our next sentence is, but Father, that's what I'm here for. So glorify your name. The second point as we mentioned earlier, is the purpose of Jesus. And the purpose of Jesus was this, to glorify the Father. To glorify the Father. And this isn't a new idea. If you've been in church, you know, you've been doing the things and the stuff in church, this isn't a new idea, right? It's something we we talk about a lot and that everything we do should be the glory of God. And that's good and we say those things. But if I'm going to be honest, I think at times, uh, and I had a, a man at the end of last service come to me and say, like, I have never thought about this like that. And that is like, like, I'm going to walk out my faith different today. So listen up. At times, I think I'm guilty of thinking about Jesus and making Jesus' purpose about me. Let, me. let me explain. He came to save me. He came to die for my sins. He came to forgive my sins and take my punishment. That's my Savior. He's so good. When the truth of the matter is that Jesus came and did what he did, first and foremost, to glorify his Father in heaven. His primary purpose was not us, it was to glorify God. But then you know what is wild about this? And and this should just make us feel so loved. If you're in the room and you didn't come in here feeling loved, if this doesn't make you feel loved by your Father in heaven, listen, the truth of the fact that Jesus' primary purpose was not us, it was to glorify God. What makes that even more crazy is that what glorified the Father was to save us. Let that sink in for a second. God, everything's about God's glory. God created us to be in relationship with him for his glory because he loves us that much. Jesus came, was secondarily worried about us, primarily worried about glorifying God, but what glorified the universe-owning God was for Jesus to save us. If that doesn't make you feel so important right now, then nothing will. Like if you walked in and somebody has you not feeling good about you, you walked in, you don't feel a lot of value, a lot of worth, you walked in not feeling love, joy, peace, and patience, can you just hear right now that Jesus was glorifying God and God said what glorifies me is for you to save them? If that doesn't just make your heart palpitate a little bit, I don't know what will. I don't know what will. 
God is so good, but Jesus' purpose was to glorify him, and that's what he did for us. He, he actually really, for the glory of the Father, gave his purpose, and then by extension, that's also our purpose. Jesus came to glorify his Father. His Father's glorification was made full through saving us. Now our purpose, by extension, is also to glorify the Father. But like I said, this is new. Something like 275 times scripture, good, good old word, talks about the idea of God's glory. 275 times. But this section of scripture here like, is heavy on it, and I think it's important to realize that in tandem with the context. Okay, and here's what I mean by that. It's one thing to talk about glorifying God with your life, now knowing that Jesus is re like relatable and connectable and real, and that his purpose was to glorify God. It's one thing to talk about glorifying God with your life and speech and actions when life is going well. That's one thing, and that's a good thing. It is a whole other thing to do when it involves sacrifice. And if our goal as Christians is to be more like Christ, then the purpose of our life is to glorify God even when it's hard. And I want to add a word in there, especially when it's hard. And here's why I say that. Paul, like in, in Romans 5, this, this is echoed throughout Scripture. He says, we glory in our sufferings. Some versions say weakness. We glory in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And he talks about these things and the theme of glory to God is, is all over the place. But like usually in the Bible, it's amidst hard things. If you look at Old Testament books, I mean, basically the blueprint for a lot of Old Testament books is like a whole bunch of crazy stuff happens. People are down and out. They got to choose God. Miracles and craziness happen. I think that's a fair blueprint, right? There's a few exceptions, but that's how a lot of the Old Testament reads. <laughs> if you just want like the, what's that one website called for kids that like to cheat on stuff? Anywho, <clears throat> the theme isn't new, but the theme specifically and relevant to this context right here is that Jesus, in a moment where he says, I am turmoiled, I am troubled, Father, glorify your name. Now, why is this so important? Because when we live for the glory of God, when life's good and things are peachy keen, that's a good thing, but that's a small investment. That's not a lot off your back because things are easy. Things are good. So it's naturally easy to say, God, you're so good. A pet peeve of mine, if I'm going to be honest, is when people like jump on social media and stuff and something really good happened in their life and they're like, how good is God? And I'm like, he's good no matter what though. He was good before you got that promotion. He was good before the diagnosis came out the right way. He was good before that relationship was restored. Like, I think there's a reason we don't see people in the muck of life saying God's so good. You don't see that nearly as much. Why? Because it's easy to think God's good when things are good, in our view. It's easy to think God is good when everything's going our way, right? That's a small investment. What does the Bible say about small investments? Small return. You, you, if, you, if you reap what you sow, if you're only sowing little, you're only going to get back. What does Jesus do here? Jesus had a lot to lose in this moment. In fact, his life. It was a big investment, a hard investment, a troublesome investment. But what did it return? The most amazing thing in the history of eternity. A resurrected Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It was a big return from a big investment. And I think what we gotta learn from this when it comes to giving glory to our fathers, bigger glory comes from bigger sacrifice. 
bigger glory is gonna come from bigger sacrifice. If you're in the room, and some of y'all are gonna relate to this, and that's okay, zero condemnation on you, but, but your faith has not been returning a lot. You haven't seen a lot of fruit out of your faith. Maybe that just means you, you aren't even sure if you buy this stuff. You haven't been hearing from God. Nobody around you has been changing. You're not seeing growth in your own personal life. I'd like to challenge you that maybe because your investments have been small. Maybe there's sacrifices and hard decisions and things you haven't been willing to make and God is just a convenience factor for you when it's convenient for you. Well, that's a small investment. You won't see big faith returns. The people I know at this church who have just leaps and bounds changed families and circles and you just watch as they boldly are leading people and they don't do it perfectly and they got their own doubts and struggles, but I watch them and I see big sacrifice. I see hard decisions being made. I see a dying to self when you want to do X, Y, and Z, but God's saying to do A, B, and C, and you choose A, B, and C. Those big investments often come out in big return. Bigger glory of God in your life is going to come from bigger sacrifice. So maybe you're itching in your seat right now, and you already know what you've had to give up. God has told you 537 times. You know what the ironic part about this type of mentality is? I work with young people, so they be doing this all the time. But the funny thing is that as we get older, we get more stubborn. You don't realize that. Your prefrontal cortex actually finishes developing right around 30 years old. So if you're above the age of 30, you are pretty much locked in your ways and you don't know it yet. Only God can change that. But for my young people, I like to pick on them more because then I get emails from y'all. They don't have emails. So... <laughs> No, nah, actually, this is for real. My, my young people come to me a lot, and, and it, it is a lot of this, like, I just, I'm not seeing him. Like, I haven't been feeling him. Like, uh, I want to see him move in my life, but I'm not. And I'm like, okay, well, what have you been doing for him? What have you been giving up for him? What have you been, what are you willing to put to the side? And it's like, you know, it's the same thing over and over and over. And then what happens is God's convicted you to get rid of something or add something a million times. And then you start to say this, well, I'm just not hearing him. No, you just aren't listening. He's been saying the same thing over and over. He never stopped talking. You shut off because you don't want to listen. And my God, some of your young people are here laughing because they know, they know. But how often do we do that? What is it in your life? What, what do you need to sacrifice for the glory of God? Because then you're going to see a big faith return. Then you're going to see people in your circles change because they're going to see you make a hard decision. What's that do for them? They wonder why. That plants a seed in them. And whatever that may look like, we need to be people who step into that understanding that bigger glory is often going to come from bigger sacrifice. Like we see these themes throughout this chapter of, in the Bible, really of like even a few verses before this, he says you have to hate your life. Because if you love your life, you're going to lose it. And he, he's talking about sacrifice. He's talking about being troubled. Yet Jesus, as our perfect model, he doesn't run from them. We're, I'm guilty of this. Things get hard, I'm out. Things get hard, here's what's going to numb it. Things get hard, here's how I can avoid it. Right? Jesus here doesn't run from it. Actually, he leans into it. Because he knows that obedience in these things is ultimately going to give the most glory to God. And if you only want glory for God when things are easy, I think it's biblically accurate. You're going to see a small return on that. And if, that, if that's where you're willing to settle, I mean, that's between you and the Lord. But I know for me, I don't want to get up to heaven one day and him be like, do you know how much more I had for you? And I'm glad you're here, daughter, son, welcome. But there were missed opportunities. I don't want to be that person. Because then when we give glory through the hard times, through the pain and the suffering, those hard investments are going to give bigger return. So I think what he's teaching us as we go into this last little piece here, he's saying, hey, listen, 
I can relate to you. Like I had a troubled soul. I walked through the pain. I walked through the mud. I walked through the muck and I see you. I can do it with you if you will let me. And he's teaching us like uh, this, this relatability. And then he says, but listen, even in the hard times, lean in harder, lean in more because this is the time to trust more. These are the times that if you're faithful and your life gives glory to the Father, you're gonna see a hundredfold return on your investment into the kingdom because the entire reason we exist, you're, like if, you, if someone ever asked you, what's the purpose of life? It's this, to give glory to your God in heaven. That's why you exist. And, and then he branches out your individual callings, your individual purposes, what he has for you in this life. But if anybody asks you your purpose, don't, my purpose is not to be a preacher. My purpose is not to be a pastor. My purpose is to glorify God with whatever I do. And the rest comes from that. The entire reason we exist is to give glory to God even when it's hard. How about especially when it's hard? But in typical Jesus fashion, as, as we kind of get into this last little piece here, like I just, I just love him. Does anybody else just love Jesus? Oh, yeah, one person loves him. So great. Hey, you want to come up here and preach since you love him the most? Love it. In typical Jesus fashion, like no matter what he's doing or who he's around or what the situation is, his heart always shines through and his heart is for us. Even in a moment, a short little passage here where he's talking, he's being transparent. Like we are hot church here, honest, open, transparent. He's being real that he has a troubled soul, but amidst that he teaches us, hey, even when it's hard, what's your purpose? Lean into that, pursue that harder. But in just the most, uh, like, we should just expect at this point, three verses later, his heart for us just flows out. And this is what it says in verse 32, just a couple verses later. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all, someone say all, all people to myself. Will draw all people to myself. Here's my last point. We have the the humanity of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and then the heart. The heart of Jesus is for all to come to him. I think in a culture where, if we're being real, maybe the, the mainstream view of our faith is that uh, Christianity is exclusive. It's only for certain types of people. It's only for certain races. It's a place that you just act better than everyone else or whatever. Fill in the blank of the garbage they talk about, uh, this church that none of it's true. I think we need to be people who shut all that down. I think we need to be people who are part of changing that mentality and realizing that the truth of our faith and the truth of our Savior is that his heart, the heart of Jesus, is that all would come to know him. There's my, there's my person who loves Jesus back there. Love it. All. And you know who that in, includes? That person right now that you're thinking of that you think is the worst person in the entire world and they drive you crazy and the last thing you'd ever do is invite them to church because you don't want to be around them any more than you have to. It's for them too. And you know what the interesting thing is about the people we maybe think, if, whether or not we'd say this isn't for, we used to be those people. Because without Jesus, who would we be? I think we have to be people who change this mentality that Jesus wants all to know him, all to be saved, all would spend eternity in heaven with him. And, and can I just challenge this, even in this moment, I don't know what some of your backgrounds are or theology or whatever, but any theology that says otherwise is bad theology. Any mentality in Christians that acts like Jesus isn't for everyone is a bad mentality. Any actions that aren't openly inviting all people into this faith that we have are bad, wrong actions. And any ways that we treat people that aren't pointing people to how much Jesus loves them are sinful actions. 
Jesus makes his intentions so clear, his heart so clear, that all would come to him. And you know why else this is powerful in the context? Because the Jews of the time, the religious people of the time, thought it was only for them. They're like, well, we've been waiting for you, and you're our Savior. And he's like, you're getting it wrong. This ain't never been about you. This is about everybody. I'm here to save the world. It's for all. I want to draw all to know me. He says it himself, and then he, he even says he came to save the world. Revelation says it's all nations and all tongues. Isaiah says that if people turn to him, they'll be saved from all ends of the earth, from page one to page number, whatever the heck the last page is. It's clear this is for everyone. That's why he came. That's why he had to get down and dirty. That's why he had to do it for us. Our faith is so unique compared to any other faith. I hate when people compare world religions and say they're all the same. You clearly haven't looked at them. Ours is wildly different. It's the only one that he came and did it. He was a human. It's the only one that gives us direct purpose, not just a list of rules. And it's the only one that the heart of the one we're looking at is directly for us. Ah, he's so good. His heart is for you. In the end, love that's forced isn't love at all. That's why we have to choose it. So when we say things like his heart's for you, uh, you, we experience a lot of people, I'd imagine you've heard this at times in the past, well, whatever the excuse is, well, where has he been? Why do you let this happen? I don't think he can love a person like me. Whatever uh, the reason we have for maybe not believing it or buying it, in the end, his heart's always been for you, and he's already done enough. If he doesn't do a single other thing for the rest of eternity, he already did enough for you. Yet he's still working for us. But the question is, are we taking steps towards him? I, I love that earlier in John, what does he call himself? The door. What do you got to do to go through a door? Open it and walk. We have a role to play. So maybe you're in the room and you felt that disconnect Leah's talking about. You felt that silence at times. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe, maybe you're just unsure of what you think about all this. Welcome to church. <laughs> Hopefully I don't scare you away. Maybe you're not sure, but the truth of the matter, regardless of your opinion, is the heart of Jesus Christ who came and died on a cross for you, thinking about you as he took those nails. It's always been for you. The choice whether or not you accept that is on you. And I would just be heartbroken if anybody in this room gets up there one day and tries to give a litany of excuses to God, and he's like, listen, it was always there for you. It was there for you from the minute you were born to the minute you died. You just had to choose it. And your excuses don't get you anything up here. And that's hard to say out loud, right? But guess what? I'd rather say that now than not see you up there. And I hope y'all say hard things to me too. Not an email though. Talk to me in person. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you're in the room today. Maybe you're going to watch online later or actively. And, and like you know people in your life who've been resistant. Maybe you are the resistant. They need to see it. They need that proof, whatever it may be. But the the Bible's clear, man. Like, like, there's scripture after scripture after scripture that this is for everyone. It's for all. Like, he came and did what he did. But you know what the Bible also tells us? Some are going to harden their hearts. It also says it's going to fall on some deaf ears and blind eyes. So, so, you know what else we also believe? That if you're in the room and you have all of those, God can change that. Oh, we believe that deeply. That if you walked in here and you're the one, arms crossed, looking at me like, when are you going to shut your face? Like, God can change that. Oh, yeah. What you don't understand yet, God can bring revelation. What you haven't seen yet, God can show you. What you haven't felt yet, God can have you experience. What you haven't learned yet, God can teach you. The question is, are we going to let him? Are we going to walk? Are we going to open the door? Are we going to play our role? Because his heart is for you. It's always been for you. 
And not only is his part played, but he's still up in heaven right now playing his part for you. The Bible says he's interceding on your behalf at the right hand of the Father. Like, I, can't, I don't know what that looks like at all. I can't even possibly. It's not Chef Boyardee. I know that. But like, I just, I'm, every time I mess up, Jesus is like, no, I, I covered it for him. Every time God rightfully should, should strike me down, should like, you know, send something, mess, you know, mess me up because I haven't been listening. And every time Jesus is like, no, 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 I covered that one too. I covered that one too. I covered that one too. Oh, he's interceding. That's, I don't, that's my interpretation of what him interceding on my behalf looks like. And oh man, if you walked in this room not feeling loved, you can't not realize how much he loves you. From that cross to the right hand of the Father, his heart's always been for you. The question is, are we playing our role? Are we stepping into it? What we're going to do is I couldn't, as I was prepping for this, we're not going to do a worship song to close. I, I couldn't have you leave without at least giving an opportunity for us to spend time reflecting on who Jesus is to us. Like maybe you're in the room and the idea of him as a human is fresh to you like relating and thanking him for him as a man and what that really can mean. And, and, and maybe you haven't connected and related in that way yet. Maybe he's been like a lofty idea to you. And we can spend time now just asking him like, hey, help me understand this. Help me see you in a new way. Help me experience you this way because I want it. And maybe you've been walking life lately and, and you love the idea of Jesus. Maybe you're walking through this faith, but your purpose maybe hasn't been aligned with the Father's. You haven't been living a day-to-day -day life where you can say that your next sentence is, glorify your name, Father. And maybe we just got to like, ask him and he will so gently respond. Just, just to course correct here today. Like, help me give you glory. Help me live in ways that are glorifying to you because I want to make a difference. I want to live out my God-given purpose. Help me to glorify you, God. Would all things I do be for your glory? And maybe you came in and you just don't know if God's heart's for you. Maybe that's new to you. Maybe it's fresh even in this moment. You've heard it a million times that God loves you, but today it's hitting different. I don't know why. And you just got to thank him and ask him what the next step is. You got to say, I want that. Thank you so much for what you did for me. Thank you that it's for everyone. And guess what? I'm part of everyone. And I want to walk in that differently today, God. Thank you. Maybe it's just a praise. Maybe it's a prayer of what's next. Maybe you just got to sit and listen for him. I don't know. But we're going we're gonna to bring the lights down. I'm going to ask any of my prayer team that's in the house that you guys would just come up, whoever we have from that. I want you to get in your own spaces. Don't worry about the person to your left, to your right. I had a, a, just an amazing experience in Wisconsin recently where uh, the guy we were spending time with um, cut what we were doing. And, and just awkwardly wanted to spend time with Jesus. And it ended up being 50 minutes of just sitting, repeating worship melodies, listening, sometimes extended silence. And I was like, and he said this at the end. He's like, why don't we do this more? This is what it looks like to spend time with our Father. Why don't we do it more? And I was so convicted. So we're, we're going to spend a few minutes here. Get in your own space. Talk to him, whatever of these things you have to. There'll be a couple people up here to pray with you if you need um, and in a few minutes, I'll bring it out and we'll dismiss. But just take this time to be with your Savior. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. 
We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.